We have come as far as Matthew chapter 27, verse 11, which is now the sixth trial of Jesus. There was the first before Annas, then taken to the house of Caiaphas, then with the Sanhedrin in the morning when it became daylight, then drugged to Pilate's, and Pilate listens briefly. We don't know how long that particular trial was and sends him to Herod because he was of Herod's jurisdiction. And however long he was there with Herod, Herod sends him back to Pilate. And now that's where we've come here, the last hearing, the last part of this public trial where Jesus stands before Pilate. Verse 11 says, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest, which is literally, it is as you have said. It's an affirmation. It is as you have said. Yes, I am king of the Jews. And look, for Pilate... He's looking at him here. He doesn't look much like a king. He's dressed in common garb, carpenter. Uh, he's covered with spit. His face has been beaten and brutalized. And uh, there's anything kingly about him in appearance. Or in regards to nobility of surrounding. But we're going to see there is something about Jesus Christ that troubles Pilate. There is a dignity and there is a deity. There is a wonder about this beaten, spit-upon man who stands before him that Pilate can't escape. Now, um, as we look at this last scene before Pilate, um, we have several things in Mark that speak about it. Uh, Luke, I'm going to read from, just so we can get a picture Luke says this, And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I have examined him before you, having found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. No, nor Herod. For I sent you... To him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done in him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of a necessity he must release one unto them at the feast, at the season. And they cried out all the more, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why? What evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. Uh, I, therefore, will chastise him and let him go. And then Luke says they were instant in their voices, continued to scream, got louder and louder. And finally Pilate said, all right, you take him. We'll see that in our study of Matthew this evening. John in his gospel uh, is not as strict with the chronology. He's writing 
60 years later at least, and uh, he's the last living apostle, and remarkable things in his gospel. Um, He says here, Then led they Jesus unto Caiaphas, unto the hall of judgment. Sorry, from Caiaphas to the hall of judgment. That's where Pilate was. And it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Now this is, Pilate doesn't like the Jews anyway. So they're coming to him early in the morning. I'm sure he would rather have had a cup of coffee and relax for a while. This starts right away in the morning. And they come but won't come in to talk to him because they say, go tell Pilate if we come into his house, he'll defile us. This doesn't go over good with the governor, you know. So then he has to go out and talk to them. John gives us this remarkable description of this process. Pilate then went out to them and said, what accusation bring you against this man? And they answered and said unto him, if he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up to thee. Then said Pilate unto them, take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put a man to death. Now Pilate knows what they want. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying by what death he should die. In other words, he has to be crucified, not stoned, not put to death by the Jews. And then Pilate entered in to the judgment hall again, and he called Jesus said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Now all four Gospels agree that's the first interchange between Jesus and Pilate. The very first thing Pilate says, Are you the king of the Jews? All four Gospels, wherever they're placing it in their chronology, Jesus says, you know, you said it. He affirms. Um, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said, Sayest thou this thing of thyself? Or did others tell it to thee? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and chief priests have delivered thee up unto me. What hast thou done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that, um, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus said, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this came I into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate, of course, familiar with Greek philosophy and so forth, said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again, He's got to go back to talk to the Jews outside again because they won't come in. He went out again unto the Jews, and he said unto them, I find no fault in him at all, but you have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? And then cried they all, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Now John kind of gives us a little bit more of the order here. When we, I'm just reading these so when we go back to Matthew tonight, we, it'll help put the picture together. It says, Pilate took him and scourged him 
And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head, and uh, they put on him a purple robe, and they said, All hail, king of the Jews. They smote him with their hands. Pilate, therefore, went forth again and said, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns. John is the only one who tells us this and the purple robe, and then Pilate said unto them, Behold the man, echi homo. Um, because they're going to tell Pilate that when they scourged him, when they beat him, he never cried out. We'll see that in Matthew tonight. Scourging uh, was one of the methods they used to extract information and try to find out who his accomplices were. And there was always a scribe standing by if it had anything to do with the Jews. And Jesus didn't cry out, my name. Jesus didn't admit that it was my fault. He didn't give up my name. He didn't give up my name. Pilate, they bring him back, said he didn't even cry out. As a lamb before his shears is dumb, so he opened out his mouth. Pilate must be looking at him now. He's been scourged. He's been beaten. He's been spit on. The crown of thorns is on his head. And Pilate puts him in front of the, the crowd and says, Ecce homo, behold the man. He, he's, he's completely unnerved at this point in time. Behold the man. And when the chief priests, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said again, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. That's all Pilate needs to hear. And when Pilate, therefore, heard that he feared... He was more afraid, and he went again into the judgment hall, and he said unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. And then said Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and I have power to release thee? And Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out the more, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. He's no friend of Caesar. And they're putting Pilate in a situation he does not want to be in by saying those things. Because Pilate had already been in trouble with Rome um, he, he, Caligula is now on the throne. Tiberius is gone, who he had an in with through a friend of his. And uh, he had already been reprimanded for his treatment of the Jews and the trouble in, in the area. And he's afraid now that if he doesn't give them what they want, then they're going to be screaming, saying, this guy showed up here, he didn't pay taxes, We're going to, he said that, and he's claiming to be king, and he refuses to, to pay any homage to Caesar, he's claiming to be king, so he's caught in a place he doesn't want to be in. He can't just let that go, because it looks like sedition, and the Jews have to drum up 
civil charges against him because Rome's not going to do anything to him because he claimed to be the son of God or because he claims to be a king or because he claims to be, you know, Messiah or the, because the Jews are saying he's committed blasphemy. Rome says, what well, does anything to do with us? You take care of that. But if they say he wasn't paying taxes, he says not to do anything for Caesar, he himself is claiming to be king, then Pilate's in a place, what do I do with this? I can't believe I, I've got to deal with this. So we go through that set of circumstances with Pilate tonight. Back to Matthew. It says, so Jesus stood before the governor. This is the last appearance before Pilate. And the governor asked him, art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, thou sayest. And when he was accused, and that is continually, this is, this is boisterous, this is loud. When he was accused of the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. He didn't say anything. You know, John would tell us, you know, he, he, he made the world. He was in the world, but the world didn't know him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And here is the Messiah standing before his own religious leaders, and he's not defending himself. He's the one, you know, he's brought before governors and, you know, religious leaders, and he's the one before whom everybody will stand in the final analysis. And he's being drugged into these places now. He's relinquished his life. That has to happen so you and I can be here tonight, 2,000 years later. He answered nothing. And Pilate said unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him, Never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. So we know from John, he'd already talked back and forth with Jesus, with them. He's going in now, he's trying to get Jesus off of his hands. And then he thought, well, this is a, a tradition. Normally at the feast, I let someone go. It says, they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Um, the, the scene here is remarkable. Uh, you guys know from studying through the scripture Peter's called Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon the son of Jonah, Bar. You know that Jesus, when he prayed, said Abba, Abba, which is father. Barabbas is son of the father. And in the Syrian translation of Bishida, I have a copy at home, he's called Jesus Barabbas. So they, the, the, you have Jesus Barabbas, Jesus son of the father, and then you have Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. And you have, you know, God's putting this there. It's such a remarkable picture. One is an earthly leader, and one is a, a spiritual, divine leader. And the world hasn't changed. The world is still looking for an earthly leader. You know, when the Antichrist shows up, you can see what a mess the world's in now. If he's got answers, and he's got vaccinations that work, and he's got food for everybody, he's got free college and free medical, whatever he does. He's, you know, he's Grandpa Stroman. That's who they're all looking for. He shows up. Everyone's going to bow down. They're looking for a worldly leader. And here we have Jesus Barabbas, the son of the Father, and we have Jesus, the son of the Father, 
and, and, and Pilate's going to say, make a choice, thinking for sure that they're going to take the one who's called king of the Jews. Remarkable picture. Uh, the notable prisoner named Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ, Messiah. For, because he knew, Pilate knew, that it was for envy they had delivered him. Look, Pilate... Um, Pilate had eyes and ears through the entire district of Israel. In, in Judea, in Galilee, he had heard about Christ. He knew there was this, you know, preacher. He knew people were getting healed. He had heard all of this. Herod talks about how he wanted to see Jesus do a miracle. It isn't like he's ignorant of this, but, but Pilate's thinking he's no threat to us. You know, the guy's preaching peace. He's, he, we like what he's talking about. Great, heal some people. That's good. You know, this is a, wish we had more citizens like this kind of a thing. You know, so Pilate isn't ignorant about what's going on, and he's not ignorant of the fact that the Jewish leaders are envious of Jesus because the people are saying no one ever spoke like this before. Pilate had heard the multitudes screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Pilate was not ignorant about these things. So he now wants to get Jesus set free, wants this one called Christ Messiah to be off of his own hands, he said, because he knew that it was for envy that they had delivered him. And when he was set down in the judgment seat, now this is a particular scene. Uh, John 19, 13 says, When Pilate therefore heard that saying... He brought Jesus forth, and he was sat down in the judgment seat. The deal here is, finally, Pilate has a throne-like seat carried out into the hallway of the praetorium. The Jews won't come in, and he takes his place in the judgment seat where everybody can see him and hear him, and he brings the issue there in front of the crowd. So it, it tells us here, he goes then, and he, he gets on the judgment seat, and it tells us this. His wife, Claudia Procurus, we're told her name is. Uh, her grandfather was Caesar Augustus. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Now, Pilate's going to say right after this, you know, I'm this just guy. I just want to get, he uses the same description as she does. And, and they were superstitious. Greeks, Romans, you know, they looked at entrails on goats. They threw down bones. They did all kinds of strange stuff. And this is early in the morning, we're told. His wife, we don't know if she slept in, he gets drug out, she has a dream, and in her dream, we don't know what the Lord says to her, we don't know what's revealed to her, but it shakes her up enough to you, you go and then you interrupt your husband, who's a Roman governor, when he's on his judgment seat. You don't do that unless something's really cooking. And she sends to, to her husband and says, look, I, 
don't have anything to do with this just person. I suffered many things in a dream because I'm, I'm telling you, you know, and God will use dreams. I don't have any doubt that he gave the dream to Pilate's wife. He gave dreams to Joseph, he gave dreams to Daniel. You know, he gave dreams to different people in the scripture and he used them at times. I don't interpret dreams, by the way. So as soon as the service is up tonight, I want you to don't come up to me and say, I had this dream and I saw a black crow flying, you know, and he was flying over this big, you know, uh, whatever, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Don't ask me. I don't know. It's not my gift. I don't interpret dreams. But through the scripture, different people obviously have had dreams. And I think he probably gave this gal this dream. And she comes to her husband and says, look, don't have anything to do with this guy. This is a just person. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. So you have to understand this. Here's Barabbas, guilty of sedition, you know, being a rebel against the Roman government, guilty of murder. He's a thief. He's in prison, and he knows that he's going to be crucified. The middle cross belongs to Barabbas. He knew he would be scourged. He knew he would be mocked and beaten. He knew he would be crucified with these other malefactors, and all of a sudden, there's another son of the father that's taking his place. All of a sudden, someone else is getting beaten, spit on, and a crown of thorns. Someone else is getting scourged. Someone else is getting crucified. And I often wonder, are we going to see Barabbas in glory? I don't know. I'm not prophesying. I'm just questioning, you know. But imagine the impressions made on this guy's heart. Imagine, did he go to Golgotha? Did he watch? Did he see the sky turn black? Did he feel the earthquake? Did he, you know, just imagine this guy like you and I was set free so someone else could hang in his place and pay the price. And sometimes I wonder, are we going to see this guy? Are we going to see him? You know, in heaven if he comes up, what's your name? Barabbas. Barabbas, I heard of you. I wonder. Set Barabbas free and destroy Jesus. Now, the governor answered and said unto them, Which of the two shall I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. You know, we said that before. And Pilate said unto them, Well, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ, which is... Still the question today. That's the question that the whole world faces. It's the question that divides between light and darkness, between eternity in glory or eternity in hell. Same question hasn't changed. What shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? Look, 
Pilate's got no backbone here in this situation, you know. I think, are you kidding me? You, you know in your heart it's wrong. Your wife is warning you. You says in the John's Gospel he was afraid. He's doing everything. So is he more afraid of Caesar and a bad rep than he is of Jesus and what he's sensing in the individual? You see, it's not politically correct. He would rather have a good reputation among his peers than to embrace this one who he knows in his heart is worthy of his attention. People only did that 2,000 years ago. Right? Imagine such a thing. Someone is willing to behave in such a way that the opinion of their peers is more important to them than what they really think of Jesus Christ. Can we say that again? You know, humans, we're the same. You know, it's just remarkable. And how often do we, you know, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's classmates, whatever it might be, people at work, it just we think it's not worth the hassle if I say this. And we're more worried about what our peers think than we are worried about the impression on our hearts from the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And the governor said, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. You know, this is a philosophy. When you don't have a, value, when you don't have a valid point, get louder. Any of you that are married know that. You get in an argument with your spouse, if you don't have a val- valid point, then just scream louder. That's the only territory you have there. They cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this, it's what his wife called him in the dream, this just person, see ye to it. Now, Pilate knew what he was doing as he goes through the the deal here with washing his hands. He was familiar with the Jews. It says in Deuteronomy 21, if you found a body, if there's a person killed, you find the body. It says all the elders of that city that are next unto the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer that is beheaded in the valley. And they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not innocent blood unto thy people of Israel's charge. And the blood shall be forgiven them, so shall they put away the guilt of innocent blood from among them when they shall uh, do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. So the commandment says, you find somebody dead, you don't want to take the blame for it, you, you sacrifice a heifer, you wash your hands. So Pilate's doing this, they know exactly what he's doing. He gets a basin and he washes his hands. He said, I'm washing my hands of the whole thing. This is not mine. I find no fault in him. He said that three times in John's Gospel. He says, I can't find anything wrong with him. 
You want them dead? I'm washing my hands of the whole deal. But the problem is you can't wash Jesus off your hands, can you? You can't. If we do something we shouldn't do and we're under conviction of the Holy Spirit, you can't go home and wash your hands and feel better about it. You can't wash Jesus off your hands. And, you know, the irony is for Pilate, we've been saying for the last 2,000 years, crucified under Pontius Pilate, dead and buried, rose again on the third day. You know, the Apostles' Creed, the whole church for thousands of years have been saying that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. So he didn't wash nothing away. He didn't get away with it. When we, when we move on, we'll see, you know, Pilate is is so vicious after this. He, he, he gets into a terrible situation with the Jews. Then finally, Caligula calls him back to Rome, Caesar, and uh, there they banish him to Gaul, um, probably in the area of Switzerland today. There's Mount Pontus there, and he ends up committing Suicide. Some feel it was in Vienna, some feel it was somewhere else. But, but he, this is a guy who ends up committing suicide. He stood before Christ. He had conversations with Christ. Jesus said, the people that delivered me to you are more guilty than you are. His wife came to him with a dream. You think, you know, some people, it seems like they have every opportunity and still turn away. And what he did at the end was he took his own life. Well, he took his life here when he refused Jesus. He took his life when he handed him over. He took his life in so many ways up to that point. But this ends up to be a really troubled guy. I think probably a lot like Nero after Paul's second testimony, how he lost his mind. Pilate ends up, as this goes forward, being more ruthless, more angry, called back to Rome, banished to Gaul, and commits suicide. How sad. He says, I wash my hands. I am innocent of, this, of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. It's easy. In chapter 23, Jesus said, Fill ye up the iniquity of your parents. You know, they all sinned against the prophets and so forth. Now you're going to kill the Messiah. And now they're screaming, you know, let his blood be upon us. And upon our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when they had scourged Jesus, John's the one who tells them, Pilate brings him one more time back in front of him and says, Behold the man. It says, When they scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So they would bend him over a pillar. Um, the, the flagellum had pieces of bone and, and metal, and uh, you would be stretched in such a way that the skin would be tight on the back, and from the first lash, the skin was splitting open. Many people died of the scourging. Um, the Romans, to be uh, merciful, uh, through the Jews, you know, arguing with them would do 39 lashes instead of 40 because that showed some mercy. The problem is from the scourging, usually it went down to the bones. People bled out during the scourging. Sometimes the bowels were exposed, major organs and ruptured because it, it dug all the way down into the person. Then you can imagine 
Jesus refusing to give up a name, Jesus is refusing to say Peter, John, James, Peter. He's refusing to give up any of the accessories in what they are saying is a political crime. And uh, that's why when they bring him back to Pilate, he says, Ecce homo. You know, my, my men are men and they've never seen anything like this before. Behold the man. They scourge him, it says. And then they delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus unto the common hall in the Antonio Fortress, and they gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. You can imagine how painful that was, a Roman soldier's robe on top of a back that's ripped apart and shoulders. They stripped him and they put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. You know, how fitting. Because of man's sins, it says, that creation brings forth thorns and thistles, Genesis 3. Romans, Paul tells chapter 8, that the whole creation is groaning and travailing, longing for the manifestation of the sons of God, because he said the creation itself has been subject to vanity. How apropos that he is crowned with a crown of thorns. And they put it upon his head and a reed in his hand, and they bowed the knee before him, and they mocked him, saying... All hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him, and they took the reed and smote him. It's a present tense. They continued to beat him on the head. So the, if you look up the word reed, it can be a writing quill. It can be just a reed. It can be a rod or a measuring rod. And this they're putting in his hand like a scepter, making fun of him. This is probably a thicker reed like a rod. And every time they're continually beating on the head with it, every time they do that, they're driving the thorns in further. You have to imagine what's going on here. When you go today to tour Israel in the basement of the Antonio Fortress, um, they have found an etching. The Roman, huge Roman stones are there down and in the etching, there's a game called Kill the King that the Roman soldiers would play with a prisoner. And they would put a crown of thorns on him. They would put a robe on him. They would beat him and mock him. And then the one that won the game would get to kill the king. But because Jesus is a political figure, it seems they played the game with him, but he was already sentenced to be crucified by the Roman authorities, so the soldiers themselves couldn't kill him. There's some controversy about the etching over there. Uh, it's a matter of opinion, but the, it is there, and uh, the archaeologists will talk about it, and the, the Israeli guides and so forth. It seems they took Jesus, and they played this game with him, kill the king, spit on him. They took the reed, they smote him on the head, and after they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him, and they put his own raiment on him again, which is a one-piece tunic. You can imagine them pulling that over him. And then they led him away to crucify him. The amazing thing is, as we, as we head into this 
portion of Scripture, Paul will tell us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, that he's before all things, he's preeminent, and so forth. And then he tells us there that it's through him all things consist. And the, the Greek word has the idea is through him all things hold together. Scientists still don't understand that. Because in the center of an atom, nuclear structure, are a cluster of protons. You know, if you take two positive ends of a magnet, they push apart. You have a cluster of protons. Then you have electrons, which should pull them out, rotating around them. They've got different theories about how that can possibly be. But they're not sure. I'm sure, because the Bible tells me Jesus Christ holds all things together, that through him all things consist, that he came into the middle of his own creation. John tells us by him were all things made, and he lets his own creation brutalize him, and he takes responsibility for it so that he can provide then redemption. Which means when they blindfolded him and they beat him beyond human recognition, he held together the knuckles that were hitting his face. He held together the nerve endings that were feeling the pain. He held together the saliva glands and the mouths of the men that were spitting upon him. He held together the thorns as they went through his brow. He held together the scourge as it ripped his back to pieces and the pain that was involved with that. He maintained it all and held it together. Tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, the day is coming when he's going to let everything go. Luo, he's going to loose it all and it's going to all depart with a great noise. That There will come a day when everything that he is holding together, he will let go of. One thing we do know when we see the, the destructive power in a nuclear detonation, we see that structure being released. What it tells us is it takes more power to hold it together than is demonstrated when it's released. And somehow, miraculously, Jesus is in the middle of his own creation holding everything together. so we can pay the price for our sin. And I think of the father. You know, I, I've got two sons that I love. I have a spare. He was the only begotten, you know. And his father loved him more than any father ever loved any son. And his son was more perfect than any son has ever been, and the father's love was more perfect than any father's love has ever been. And the Father holds back the angels as the Romans come and the temple guards and take his son. The Father was silent when he was saying, if there's any way, Father, let this cup pass. Let this cup pass. And heaven was silent except for sending an angel to strengthen him so he could agonize. Sweating great drops of blood. Heaven silent. Spit on, mocked, crown of thorns scourged and the father 
is holding back. I remember watching, again, years ago, my son Joshua bleeding out. And I would have done anything, I, he lived by the way, but I, I'd have done anything I could possibly do to stop that. And this father has the ability to stop this and doesn't. Again, I remember praying, saying, God, I will never forget watching this kid bleed out in front of me, the smell of his blood all over the car. And, just, and the father said, Joe, neither will I ever forget watching my son bleed out for you and the smell of all of that. And finally, Christ is taken to the cross. We're going to find out as they're nailing him to the cross, he's saying over and over, not just once, Father, forgive them. They know what they do. Father, forgive them. They know what they do. He's saying that over and over as they're nailing him there. But the ultimate cry is changes from Father to God. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because my sin was on him then and yours. And the father, you know, I can't imagine one of my sons in unimaginable suffering saying, Dad, why are you letting this happen? I can't imagine one of my sons and the sin of every child pornographer and every terrorist and every murderer and every bigot. is He laid on him the iniquity of us all. And heaven was silent. And when heaven finally answers, he rains down his wrath on his only son. Heaven finally answers with eternal fire. And in those three hours of darkness, it, the ages will still be speaking to us about what took place there. I think of what it cost the son holding everything together going there for us, but I think of what it cost the father when he had the ability to stop that. And yet he saw you and I sitting here tonight and he allowed it all to go forward. Herein is the love of God, not that we loved him, but that he first loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins, the place where his wrath would be satisfied. God gives us that. You know, we say, okay, God, if you love me, you'll give me this job. If you love me, Lord, you'll heal, 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 you'll heal my shin, you know. If you, if you love me, God, you'll help me get this house. If you love me, God, you, you'll give me this husband. You love me, God, and you gave me that husband? You know, if you love me, you'll do this. Love me. And, and God said, no. If you want to know about my love, there's one place I want you to look. At the cross of my son. There will never be a greater demonstration of my love than Jesus bleeding out in your place so that we can be here tonight with our imperfections, our selfishness, all the things in us that are not yet Christ-like, and know that 2,000 years ago they were all paid. All that was paid for. It was all paid for on that cross. And Jesus here is knuckling under it all, as it were. They're beating him, spitting on him, scourging him, crown of thorns, humiliating him. And he's yielding. 
And it says, after they were finished mocking him, they took the robe from off of him. They put his own raiment on him and they led him away to crucify him. Interesting uh, picture. If you study, I think Edersheim mentions it, some of the historic things. Once a year when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies on the Feast of Atonement to pour out the lamb on the mercy seat, if he died in the presence of God, nobody was going to go in and get him. So the priest would go in with a rope tied around his ankle. And they would hear the bells on the edges of his garment. And they could hear he was moving. He was officiating. He was putting the blood on the mercy seat. If all of a sudden the, 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 the bell stopped, no sound, everything, they weren't, so they could drag him out. They could pull him out from under that curtain. Roman tradition tells us that when someone was going to be crucified, most of the time they just tied the beam across the shoulders with the arms like this. Sometimes the, the, the upright was carried as well, but they would put a rope around the ankle of the person that was going to be crucified, and at their pleasure they would pull his legs out from under him so he would slam down on his face with that cross coming down on him. They led him away to crucify him, but they mocked him all the way. And it tells us here in verse 32, And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear the cross. Um, Jesus is too bled out. He's dehydrated. I am sure only the spirit is keeping him alive Probably a lot of humans in the natural would have died before they ever got to Golgotha. Uh, Jesus, it says there, is going to willingly give up the ghost when he knows his work is done. And Jesus now evidently is collapsing under the weight of this. The Roman soldier is looking. He doesn't have the physical strength to bear this all the way to the hill. So they grab this man, Simon the Cyrene. He is from North Africa. Um, it tells us in Mark's gospel that his sons are Alexander and Rufus, like so the church would realize which Simon this was. Uh, Acts chapter 13 tells us this. It says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene. So it seems he's there in Acts 13 in Antioch, uh, serving as a teacher or a prophet with Silas and with Paul. When Paul writes to the Romans, he says, Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. So it seems that Simon the Cyrene's wife became hospitable to Paul. Whenever he passed off, his sons Alexander and Rufus still had a role in the church. And there are traditions about that from the church fathers. But this man has come from North Africa. He's come to one of the mandatory feasts. He's standing there watching all this, seeing this person, bloody mess, going through the streets. And when the Roman laid a sword or a spear on your shoulder, you were a servant. And they said, you, pick that thing up. 
Now he's disqualified from the Passover. He's got blood on him. He's unclean for days now until he goes through purification. And you can imagine him thinking, are you kidding me? God, what are you doing? I came all the way from Africa. This is, I'm waiting. This is a once-in-a-lifetime trip. I'm here at the Passover, and you do this to me. What is going on? I can't believe it. Now I'm, you know, I'm unclean. You know, and, and it doesn't tell us when he gets to the top of the hill with Jesus, does he stay there? It seems that he must. His sons are notable in the church. What was it like for him when the sky turned black and the earthquake took place and three days later he's risen? I'm sure he was one of the 500 that saw him. And then he was thinking, God, you brought me all the way to Jerusalem to celebrate the real Passover with the real Lamb of God. What was every Passover like for Simon year after year after that? You know, we know the story. If you were there, would you have carried the cross for Christ? If you were there and he was falling down in front of you, would you have carried the cross for him? Nobody. I don't want you to be envious of Simon because there's plenty of cross to go around. Jesus said, if you want to follow me and be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. Your cross is not your mother-in-law. Don't tell me that. Your cross is not your husband. Your cross, The cross was a means of execution. It's not self-denial. It's deny yourself. That's different than self-denial. Martial arts is self-denial. SEAL Team 6 is self-denial. There's all kinds of self-denial that makes us something because it's not denying self. But denying self is different than self-denial. And we can do that now. We can take up our cross. I'm not good at it. I do okay for a little while, 10, 15 minutes. Then I'm ready to throw it off. I don't like putting this to death. But there's plenty of cross to go around. And I just can't imagine for, what was it like when he came home, you know, to North Africa? And his wife said, hey, honey, how was the Passover? He must have said, get the boys. Let's sit down, I'll tell you. Imagine. She ends up to be a believer and, and motherly to Paul. His sons end up to be notable in the church. Imagine how his life was transformed. And I think our lives will be as well if we're willing to take up our cross and follow him. Easy no. Um, Not when the world is offering a thousand other things to us. But they have their own Barabbas, son of the father. And he's coming. And he's going to sign peace treaties. And he's going to make us make the whole world wonder after him. And he's going to feed everybody and give everybody, you know, the deception will come. There's a different son of the father. You know, antichrist means instead of Christ. He's an instead of. He's not, doesn't come with a black cape like Dracula and go, yeah, you know, he's a GQ guy. He's brilliant. He's, you know, he's, he's what uh, some of these guys wish they were. 
Bill Gates wishes he was that good-looking and that smart, you know. He's going to come on the scene like that, but he's the son of a different father. Son of a different father. We get to follow the son of the father. And he says, if you, but if you want to do that, you take up your cross and follow me. I'm just telling you what it says. I'm not telling you what I do. I'm just telling you what it says. I'm, I'm still learning here. I'm still a stubborn, selfish wimp. Uh, but I am learning, and he's patient with me, as he is with you. Some of you are shaking your head, so there's at least three of us here. We know he's patient with us, which is a good thing. Amen? Simon the Cyrene, I encourage you, uh, read ahead. We will... If God tarries and uh, we are here next Wednesday, we will get to the crucifixion and uh, some remarkable, remarkable things there. So uh, let's stand. Let's pray while the musicians come. And look, if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior, forget about church, forget about religion, forget about denominations. You need to know Jesus, this one who's risen, who died for us. If you don't know him, he wants relationship. He doesn't want religion. If you don't know him, get up here after us. We'd love to pray with you, give you a Bible, some literature. We don't want your email or your phone number or anything. We don't want anything from you. We do want everything for you. Father, I know you've overheard, and we bow our hearts, Lord. And these things, again, we've been here many times, Lord. We've read through this on our own. We've studied through a church. And yet, Lord, it is more profound and beautiful and horrible and staggering and renewing all at the same time. Lord, this whole scene is like a diamond with so many facets to it that we're still learning. You say in the ages to come, we'll still be learning of your grace and your mercy. Lord, you know each of us here. You know what we came in struggling with. You know what we're going to take with us, you know, the things that are going on in our life tomorrow and this week and our health and our homes and our marriages and our education. You know all that, Lord. So we put our lives, Lord, before you afresh. Just teach us in those routines of life to hear your voice, to know your presence, to yield, to put ourselves to death and follow you, Lord. In, in our imperfect attempt even to do that, Lord. Shepherd us. Lead us, Lord, in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, Lord. Bring us beside the still waters, Lord. Restore our souls, Lord. We trust you and we look to you, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.